We're going to be in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, thank you, Pitts. Go ahead and grab a seat. We're so glad you're here to worship uh, on this uh, incredible Lord's Day, man. I, I just, I love gathering with God's people. I hope you love gathering with God's people. If you're a believer, uh, you should. And if not, then, man, evaluate what's going on because we, to gather and worship uh, is amazing. Now, we're, we're finishing out a series today called Origin. We've been going through the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. And I think they're the most important chapters of the entire Bible because they lay the foundation for the rest of the Bible. They tell us, uh, they answer all the great existential philosophical questions like who are we, where did we come from, what went wrong, how do we fix it? We've been looking at those things. Today, uh, we're gonna close it out by looking at the origin of, of sin and the origin also of salvation. We're gonna see both uh, in this message today. And so that's what we're gonna answer is what went wrong and how to fix it, the origin of sin, the origin of salvation. Now, hail from the Appalachian Mountains of East Tennessee, as most of you know, and, and, and I love being from there because it's where everybody speaks, you know, everybody has a proper accent. Everybody else in the world sounds funny, but in East Tennessee, you know, we, we all sound, that's, that's, that's the proper accent, but it's not just our accent, it's our, our dialect, right? I mean, you know, we have a, a colorful way of describing things. I mean, you know, it's not just simple, but colorful. It's like, you know, for instance, if we if we were talking about someone who's a little moonstruck, you know, or a little, a little confused or, you know, off kilter, we might say uh, that uh, they, they're so confused, they don't know whether they've uh, found a rope or lost a cow, you know? I mean, we might say, man, that they're more confused than an Amish electrician. That's confused right there. Or they're more confused than a goat on AstroTurf. Listen, these are ways of describing uh, people who are confused. Uh, I don't know if you know or not, but Harry Truman, he had a motto that he lived by, and it was, if you can't convince them, confuse them, right? If you can't convince them, confuse them. And that's a pretty good motto, but it's exactly what we see in Genesis 3, what Jason just read. You see Satan making a full frontal attack to take people down with him, uh, and he does this through the art of confusion. That doesn't take a genius to figure out something is wrong with our world, something really wrong. If I would have told you Think about this. If I would have told you 10 years ago that we'd be living in a time in the near future when, uh, when people would be confused about what a man is and a woman is, you would have said, you are crazy. You're crazier than a hit dog, right, is what we'd say in East Tennessee. You're crazy. Uh, that's what you would have said if I'd have told you that, that man, people were confused about a man and what, what a woman is. If I would have told you, man, you cannot fly a Jesus flag, but you can fly a rainbow flag because it represents pride, all that. You would have been crazy. You would have thought, you're crazy. Uh, but that's the world we live in. But it's not just in our world. It's within us. 
No one wakes up every morning and thinks, man, I'm gonna go to work today and I'm gonna scream and yell and I'm gonna curse people out and they'll love that, right? No one thinks that, but it happens. Why? No, no one wakes up and says, man, I'm just gonna, you know, c- consume porn today. I'm gonna commit adultery. That'll be fun. No one thinks that, but it happens. Why? That's the answer right here in Genesis chapter three, uh, verses one through seven. That, that, what we see here is the, the origin of sin and the origin of salvation. And so what we're gonna understand or look at today is uh, uh, four different ways that the enemy tries to confuse you, just like he did Adam and Eve. These are the core components of his temptation, his strategy and temptation. These are the core components of how he tempted Adam and Eve and the core components of how he still tempts you today. One, he tries to confuse you on God's word. Two, he tries to confuse you about God's goodness. Three, he tries to confuse you about God's judgment. Four, he tries to confuse you about salvation. So let's look at uh, confused about God's word. This is, this is what we see with Adam and Eve. Look at verses one through three of, of Genesis three. He says, now the serpent, This serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? Now get that, hang on to that phrase. Circle that, whatever in your Bible. If it's a hard copy, annotate it, do something. Remember that, did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit from of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, the first question that pops is, who's this serpent, right? I mean, who, who is this serpent? Is it some snake that slithered in? I hate snakes, you know, and this is, you know, I, I hate them. But is it some snake? Does it have legs? Because, you know, part of the curse was that the snake would crawl on its belly. Is this some kind of dragon, some kind of big lizard? What, 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 who, who, what is this serpent? Uh, we, we really don't know, but here's what we know. The word carries the connotation of shiny and bright. So the serpent wasn't some horrific looking creature that you might see in a horror movie. It, the, you know, we, we think of the devil, you know, in culture, we think of the devil as, you know, uh, horns and a pointed tail and pitchfork and scary. And that's not how the Bible presents the devil. I mean, if that was the, true, you would run right? But that's not what the devil wants you to do. That's not what Satan wants you to do. He don't want you to run from him. He wants to entice you by making everything look good. So the connotation is bright and shiny, but here's what we know. We don't know what kind of a beast he was. He was a beast of the field. We don't know what kind of beast he was, but we know who he was because Revelation 20 tells us that he was the ancient serpent, meaning Satan that come in and tempted Adam and Eve. He was the ancient serpent. He was Satan. Satan, I want to stop and point out that there's not two opposing gods. God and Satan's a little god and they're competing and battling. Satan's not a god at all. He's a created being. He was created by our God. Isaiah 14 talks about how that, that, that Satan was a created being. He was an angelic being and he was created by God. He was in heaven with God, but he wasn't satisfied or content being with God. He wanted to become like God. And so he led a rebellion in heaven. And when he led this rebellion in heaven, God cast him out of heaven when all those who uh, followed him. And ever since he, he came, uh, this was sometime after creation, he cast him out and he came to earth and he has literally been hell bent taking all of us down with him. That's his, his, his plan. And that's what we see happening here and what we see every day. So he slithers up to Eve, the first man, the first woman. He slithers up and he said, did God actually say? 
did God actually say? He's trying to confuse her about what God said, God's word. Did God actually say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. Actually, God said the exact opposite. God said you can eat from freely from any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. Now, it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it is a symbol, it represents moral autonomy. In other words, the ability to decide what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil. All through creation, God said it's good. He declared something good. He declared, created the sun and the moon, it's good. He created uh, the trees, the mountains, the oceans, it's good. All through creation. And then he said, when he saw man alone, which we talked about that last week, uh, it's not good that man's alone. And God didn't realize he made a mistake. He did that for our benefit. But God is who declares what's good and what's bad, what's good, what's evil. Satan tempts them to be the ones to begin to determine. You need to be the one to determine what's right and what's wrong for your life. You need to be the determined, do it your way right? I mean, you do it your way. You determine what's evil. You do your truth, right? This is what we see, right? This is my truth. This is your truth. And you, know, I, I, you do it your way. That's the temptation that comes. And, and, and Eve responds, and listen to what she says. We may eat from the trees in the, uh, we may eat from the trees, but we can't eat from the tree in the midst of the garden, nor touch it, or we will die. Now, do you see what she did? Did you notice? He had her confused. He confused her on what God's word said, and it caused her to both omit, take away from God's word, and also to add to God's word. You do either one of those, and you're gonna crash and burn. If you begin to take away from God's word, or if you add to God's word, you're going to crash and burn. And, and, and we see it all the time. And, and, and this is what happens. If it, 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 She said, uh, we, uh, God did say you can eat from the trees of the garden. She omitted the word freely and any. And she said, nor touch it. God didn't say they couldn't touch it. Actually, God said they couldn't eat it. They could have they built a tire swing in it. They could have, I mean, they could have built a tree house in it. God didn't say they couldn't touch it. He said they couldn't eat from the fruit. So she said she omitted freely and any and added the word touch it added the phrase, touch it. So what she's doing is she's taken away from God's word. She's added to God's word and she's about to crash and burn in doing so because she's focused now on what God had prohibited rather than what God had permitted, making God look very harsh. That's what happens when you begin to take away from God's word and add to God's word. That's what, that's what happens. And so the enemy, when we begin to, to see what's happening here and the confusion of the word, we obviously can understand this is still the strategy of the enemy. The enemy asks us this question over and over throughout our life. You've been asked this question many times by, the, by Satan. He's tempted you many times throughout your life, and he will until the day you die. Did God actually say, did God actually say that you cannot fill in the blank? Did God actually say you should? Did God actually say sex is only within marriage? Did God actually say you should forgive that person? God, surely he doesn't know what they did to you. I mean, why would you forgive them? Did God actually say that you can't lie about this? Did God actually say? You see, those, those words have been asked to you throughout your life. They will continue to be asked for you uh, of you throughout your life by the enemy in an attempt to confuse you on God's word. And God's word speaks to those issues and he's gonna tell you, well, maybe that's what they taught you in Sunday school. That's what the kids ministry taught you, but it's not true. 
That's what the preacher says on Sunday morning. But I mean, listen to him. He's some country bumpkin that can't even uh, speak the king's English plainly. I mean, you really believe that, right? I mean, Ephesians 5 tells us that a man should wash his wife in the word of God. In other words, he should pour the word into his wife and his family. That's, that's our responsibility. And Adam had obviously done this because she referred to it, but he, she was confused, so he obviously had not done it well, right? So she was confused about God's word. Now, let's look at how he tried to confuse her about God's goodness. The serpent confused Eve about what God said, that's God's word, but he, he also had her to focus on what God had prohibited rather than what God had permitted, which was he can, began to confuse her about God's goodness. God's holding out on you. I mean, God is holding out on you. God doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. I mean, why would God determine what, what, you know, what you should do? Why does the word of God, the Bible was written so long ago, let's pull it into today. The Bible was written so long ago, how does it have any relevance for your life today? That's old school, right? I, I mean, I have rules for my kids. If you're a parent, you have rules for your kids, right? I, I've had five kids, I've had rules for my kids, and those rules are not to minimize their life and to take away their life. Those rules are there to add to their life, to maximize their life, to help them to have life, right? I mean, you know, if you don't have rules for your kids, uh, you know, man, they're going to open up the, the, uh, under the cabinets and start drinking the Clorox or the, you know, liquid plumber, and they're going to die. You don't have rules for your kids. They're going to, man, they're going to go out and be playing on the, in the street. You don't have rules and fences for your kids. They're going to wander off and fall in a hole. That, that's why you have restrictions and rules, because you want your kids to live. You want to maximize their life. No good parent says, I'm going to give them rules because, man, I just don't want them to have any fun. I don't want them to have it worse than me. That's not what a good parent does. A good parent says, I want you to live. And as a parent, I hope you know a little bit more than your child what's good for them. You've lived it. Well, here's the thing about God. As our heavenly father, God uh, knows what's best for us. He created us he created man, woman, he created everything, and he knows best how we work. And so his rules, if you wanna look at them that way, are not to prohibit our fun, they are to maximize our life. They are to allow us to enjoy life because he knows how it works best. The enemy comes and says, oh, let, let, let me confuse you on God's word. And then you need to begin to think that you know what's best, God doesn't. Right? I mean, this is exactly what we see in our world today, right? I mean, one of the, one of the greatest uh, battles that we face and all of our sexuality, homosexuality, all this kind of thing, here's what I hear all the time from people who try to sink, uh, from people who claim I'm a Christian, but I can still be homosexual because, as a, because the Bible doesn't. Here, here's, what, here's one of the greatest arguments. Jesus didn't talk about homosexuality. Jesus never mentioned it. You know, the virgin read. Well, the people who do this are, are intelligent people, okay? So it's not an intelligence issue. What is it? It's a blinded issue. You're blinded to sin because you want to take the word and omit or add to. And, and so here's what happens. When you say, okay, well, Jesus didn't really talk about homosexuality. Well, here's what I want you to understand. Who was Jesus? Well, he was fully man, but he was fully God. What is the Bible? God's word. So who wrote the Bible, who inspired the Bible to be written through all those authors? God, who was Jesus, God. All those words are his words. All of them. 
Bible's very clear. Confuse you on God's word and confuse you about God's goodness. Confuse you about God's trying to withhold. He, he, he tries to confuse you. And then, uh, and then he says, he tries to confuse them about God's judgment. Here's what he said in Genesis 3, 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now, what did God say? God, if you'll remember, God said, for when you eat of the tree, when you eat of it, you will surely die. Satan says, you will not surely die. Now he's blatantly denying God's word. There's a blatant denial of God's word. You will not surely die. There's not going to be any bad consequences for what you do. There's not going to be any judgment. You will not reap what you sow. That's not gonna happen. If you do this, man, it's gonna bring you pleasure. It's gonna save you a lot of money, right? I mean, uh, if, 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 if you do this, only good things will come, not bad things. He blatantly denies God's word. You, you, you won't have judgment. That's all fire and brimstone stuff. That's archaic. That's what the enemy does. It's still the same core components. He tries to confuse us about God's judgment. We face it every day. God has prohibited certain things in our life, as we said, for our good, because he wants us to have life, not to restrict our life. So he's prohibited certain things throughout our life, and, and, and we hear it every day. The enemy says, come on, man, nothing's gonna happen if you do that. Matter of fact, if you don't do it, if you don't do it, you're not gonna be one of the cool kids. If you don't do it, you're gonna be left out. If you don't do it, nobody's gonna think you're cool. Nobody's gonna wanna hang out with you. Matter of fact, God said, you know, Christian, ladies, men, do not marry someone who's not a Christian. So what does that mean? It means that you shouldn't date someone who's not a Christian. But when you're single for so long, then you begin to say, oh, man, I've got to, I mean, I've got to have a husband or a wife, man. I, I need, and so what, what can begin to happen is, is the enemy can begin to tempt you like, look, man, if you don't have sex with this dude, he's going to leave you. Or I know he's not a Christian, but he's a good dude. And if you don't marry him, no one else is going to come along. Right? I mean, it, 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 you don't, don't, there's no consequences. God said not, there's no consequence for that. There's no consequence if you're a Christian and you marry a non-Christian. There's no consequence if you cheat on your income tax. There's no consequence if you, if you lie. There's no consequence if, if you don't forgive. Matter of fact, you, there's no consequences for that. That's what the enemy teaches us, right? And here's what Eve did. She bought the lie and she took the fruit and she ate and she gave some to her husband. Now, here's what I wish I could say about Adam. I would love to be able to say that, you know, Eve was there all by herself when the snake slithered up, the, the serpent, whatever, that, that when the serpent slithered up, Eve was there all by herself, and Adam was out doing man things. He was out killing and grilling, you know. I mean, he was out, uh, you know, playing golf. He was not there. He came home, and she slipped a piece of fruit from the forbidden tree. In, uh, she slipped him a Mickey, right? I mean, she slipped him a piece of fruit. He had no clue, and all of a sudden, you know, I wish we could do that, but we can't. Can't do that. Why, where was Adam? Adam was right there with her. He was right beside of her watching this whole thing go down. But he was passive. He didn't do anything. He was passive, guys. And as a result of his passivity and not leading, we're all affected today. He, 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 was, he, he was passive and it, and it destroyed. Uh, men, here's what you need to understand. Your wife, does, here's what you need to understand, man. His sin was greater than, than Eve's sin. 
You see, it was his responsibility to lead his family. He, uh, his sin was greater because he wasn't deceived. God, before he created Eve from his rib, told Adam exactly what to do. It was Adam's role to pass that along by washing his wife with the word. It was his role to pass that along. Now, he obviously did, but he obviously didn't do a great job, but now he didn't protect her. He, she did the one thing God told him not to do. He did not do what God told him to do. He didn't lead his wife. He did not lead his wife. She was deceived. He wasn't deceived. His sin was greater, guys. Men, here's what I want you to understand. Every, every man, if you're not married, uh, you need to listen to this for the future. Men, every, your wife does not just uh, want you. She does not just need you to be masculine and, 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 and courageous in your leadership of her. She wants you to be. She doesn't just need it. She wants you to be because that's how she was created. That's how you were created. Completely equal. Completely equal. That doesn't have anything to do. Men, women, has nothing to do with intelligence. Man, most women are smarter than me. Most women are smarter than most of you guys. I mean, they don't make the stupid mistakes you make because they're smarter than you. They do make their own, right? I mean, it's not anything to do with intelligence. It's not anything to do with, 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 with uh, the roles that they can play. I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's not to do with rank. It's all about the role that God gave us within our families. And every woman wants, needs that and wants that, man. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this. If Adam would have stepped in front of her, chopped that snake's head off right there and said, not, not around here, you're not gonna do that, not to my wife, she would have thought he was the sexiest man alive. I mean, he was the only man alive. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the only way some of us guys can be considered the sexiest man alive, right? But she would have thought he was so sexy. Am I right, ladies? If he would have just led, man, passivity gets us in a lot of trouble in our world today and our families today and with our kids today. We can't be passive. Now, here's, here's, what, here, here's what he does. The enemy, he, he lied to them, uh, but it was half truth, right? I mean, he told them, you won't surely die. And guess what? They didn't die immediately, physically. They lived for a while. They had kids. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and God put seraphim in front of the garden at the entrance so they couldn't get back in to eat from the tree of life and live forever in their sin, which was an act of grace. But uh, they didn't die immediately, but they did die physically. As a matter of fact, it's why we all die. It's why you had family members that died. It's why you have a mom. If, you're, if your grandmother, grandfather has died, it's why they died. It's why Amy died. It's why I will die one day. It's why you will die unless Jesus returns because of sin. So see, it was, a, it was a half truth. I mean, they didn't die immediately, but they did die, but they did die immediately spiritually. They were separated from God. That's what death is. And immediately their soul, they died spiritually. Their freedom died. Their hope died. Their purpose died. Their meaning died. Their spiritual life died that day. He told them, your, your eyes will be open if you do this. He's holding out on you. Your eyes will be open. And yes, their eyes, was open. Their eyes were open. They could see their nakedness. In other words, they, they were shameful and they were guilty and they could see it. Their eyes were open, but they were blinded to their sin. You see, that's what Satan does to you. He tells you half-truths, just enough truth mixed in it to be deadly, and he, that's, that's called presenting the bait and hiding the hook. That's what he does. It's still the same core components. He presents the bait, and, and, and he hides the hook, and here's what he wanted. He wanted to confuse them about God's judgment. Nothing is going to happen. There are no consequences. You will not reap what you sow. Why? Because if there is no judgment, there is no need for the cross. 
If there is no judgment, there is no need for the cross. And they, they took the bait. They bought the lie. They ate the fruit. and They died. But it wasn't just them because their sin didn't just affect them. Right? When Eve ate, it didn't just affect her. When Adam ate, it didn't just affect him. Matter of fact, it, 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 it totally destroyed their relationship with God. That was broken. But it not just destroyed their relationship with God, it destroyed their relationship with each other. All of a sudden, Eve didn't trust Adam because he didn't lead and protect her. Adam didn't trust Eve because she didn't help him, she hurt him. And so they're at odds with each other. That's what sin does. It creates enmity between us and God, enmity between us and people. That's what sin does. That's why there's, there's divorce, that's why there's wars, that's why there's broken friendships and broken families, because sin creates enmity between us and people, uh, vertically with our relationship with God, horizontally with people, right? It separates us from God and each other. And disobedience in your life, you need to understand, doesn't just affect you. Every time you sin, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone in your orbit. It affects your wife or your husband. It affects your kids. It affects your friends and your family. It affects those at work. It affects your church. Everyone in your orbit's affected. There is no sin that just affects you. It plays out and affects everyone in your life. Matter of fact, Romans 5.12 said, uh, Paul said this, sin and condemnation came into the world through one man, Adam. See, here's, here's, here's what happened. Adam, when he sinned, it didn't just affect him. Then he passed his sin gene on to all of us. Some theologians call it uh, original sin or inherited sin. We inherited this sin. But you can't blame Adam because he sinned. And if he hadn't sinned, then, man, we would have been cool. No, because you've also chosen to sin. You've also chosen to rebel against God, do it your way, think you know you're better than God. So every human being was born with this inherited sin. So this story, you need to understand, it's not just about original sin, it's the story of every sin. It's the story of your sin and my sin, not just Adam and Eve's sin, it's the same core components. It's still Satan's strategy. He still tries to confuse you about God's word, about God's judgment, and about God's goodness. But here, fourthly and finally, we see that they were confused about salvation. It doesn't just tell us what went wrong. It tells us how to fix it. It's not just the origin of sin. It's also the origin of salvation. That's what we see. As soon as Adam realized that he had sinned, what should they have done as soon as they realized they had sinned? Well, I mean, it's still the same for you. When you realize you sin, you should run toward God and confess and repent. You should run to God. I sinned. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. You should say immediately, oh no, I've sinned. I've grieved the Spirit. I've rebelled against God. I run to God. I confess my sin. I repent of my sin. The Bible says God is just and righteous. And, and when we confess our sin, He will forgive our sin and confess them as far as the and cast them as far as the east is from the west. He will remember them no more, which doesn't, which doesn't mean He forgets them. Right? God doesn't forget anything. He knows everything. It means he will no longer hold them against you. Right? That's what happens when we confess. That's what they should have done. Because God's good. Because God's gracious. Because God's loving. Because God's forgiving. But the enemy begins to confuse you and get you to focus on what God has prohibited and make you think God is harsh and God is unloving and God is uncaring and God is not gracious. That's what happens every time. Not just an inherited sin, but in every sin, 
They should have ran to God and confessed, but they didn't run to God. What did they do? They ran away from God. This is our story, isn't it? Sort of remind you of Jonah. It's where Jonah got it. They ran away from God, and what did they do? They tried to hide behind a tree. Boy, that was smart. I mean, Adam gets down behind the leaf. <laughs> hide right here, Eve. God can't see us here. Boy, that's, that's silly, isn't it? I mean, God created the world. He knows where you are. Sort of like Jonah. Jonah gets, Jonah's running from God, just like Adam and Eve. What's he do? I, I'm going to run from God. I'm going to hide from God. I'm going to get on a boat and go out in the middle of the ocean. That's really smart. God can't find me there. No, God is already where you're running. You can't run from God. God knows every thought you think before you think it. He knows every word you say before you say it. He knows everything you do before you do it. There is nothing in your soul he does not know. And what do we do? We try to run and hide from God by not confessing our sin, by trying to hide it, hide it from God, by not admitting it. Because if I talk about it, if I think about it, then I have to bring it up and God knows it already. What do we do? We should run to God and confess and trust the goodness and the grace of God because that's who the Bible says he is. But the enemy gets in our mind and he says, that's your God, you've disappointed God. God can't use you. God doesn't love you. Look at you, look at what you've done. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. So they ran and they hid from God. But here's the good news, right? God didn't just let them run. When they ran, God pursued them. Just like he did Jonah, who was already there. He pursued them. And, and he ran after them just like a father would a child who's running. And he ran after them and he said, Adam. Now, why did he not say Adam and Eve? Because Adam was the responsible one because he created Adam, gave him this mandate, told him to pass it along to his wife and it was his responsibility. He's the one who uh, was not deceived. And he called out to Adam. He said, where are you? Now, remember, he, he didn't, Call out to Adam because he didn't know where Adam was. This was not a question for God's sake. It was a question for Adam's sake and a question for our sake. He's not trying to fight, figure out Adam's location. He's wanting Adam to figure out his heart. Where's your heart, Adam? Look what you're doing, Adam. You're running from me. You're trying to hide from me. I can see you, Adam. You can't hide from me. I know what you're thinking. Where are you? Look at where you are. Look at how far you've fallen. Where are you? And then what did Adam and Eve do? Well, they tried to sew fig leaves together because all of a sudden their eyes, as, as uh, Satan said, your eyes will be open. Their eyes was, were open. They were open that they could see their nakedness, and their shame, and their guilt. And so they tried to sew fig leaves together and cover themselves. This is the very first attempt at religion, trying to do something to make us approachable to God. Let me do this. Let me do that. Let me sew these fig leaves together. We do it all the time, right? We think, man, if I just join the church, that's a fig leaf. I mean, if I, get go, if I go to church, if I'm baptized, all these things are good things and we should go to church. We should be baptized, all these things. But if we're doing those to, 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 for salvation, if, I, if, if, I, you know, if I'm good enough, that's fig leaves. It means nothing. And so what did God do? Well, God, first off, he, 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 he made them skin, animal skins, which meant what? An animal had to die. Why did an animal have to die? Because God said the price for sin was death. Immediately, he's showing us your sin has just broken everything, and your sin requires death because I said the price for sin was death. Paul and Romans said the wages of sin is death. God said, when you eat this, you will surely die. An animal had to die to provide them. In other words, this was the very first illustration of sin requires death blood. It requires death. And then God preached the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. 
We see the origin of sin. We see why men indulge on porn every day and commit adultery, not because they want to, but because we see it here. We see why people go to work and scream and yell and curse at each other. We see why there's road rage. We see why there's adultery. We see why there's death. All, it happened right here. We, we see what's going, we see why people are confused about what a man and a woman is, although it's like, good gravy, how can you be confused? It, it, it's confused because it happened right here. It happened right here. This is where it all went wrong. This is where we have to go back. No amount of money or education is gonna reform our thoughts and make us brand new people. Right here is what we gotta go back to. Right here is what we gotta go back to. I mean, we're, we're, so, we're so crazy in our world. If I would have told you, think about it. If I would have told you 10 years ago that a, that, that a, a 13 or 14-year-old child could not, buy beer, could not buy alcohol because they weren't mature enough to do that, could not serve our country, could not, uh, in, the, in, in the army, could not do certain things, but they can make a decision of whether they become a man or a woman and have some stuff rearranged in their body. They can make that decision, or a girl can make her own decision about getting an abortion without telling her parents. You would have said, Dad, you're, lun- you're a lunatic, because that's lunacy. That's where we are. Why? Genesis 3, Genesis 3, that's where we go. Romans 1, Romans 1, man, we, we just, we, we go our own way and God turns us over to ourselves. And that's what happens. What's the answer? The answer found in Genesis 3, 15. God talking to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity, he's bringing the curse, He's told the woman what her curse is, pain in childbirth. Oh, they're kicked out of the garden, so they're gonna die. But now it's gonna be pain in childbirth. The man, the ground's gonna go thorns and thistles. And I mean, in other words, work for you. Work's beautiful, work's great. But the reason sometimes your work is so hard and sometimes you struggle in your work is because of sin, guys. God didn't make work to be a chore. He made work to be great and beautiful. Our sin makes it a chore. God didn't make childbearing to be this horrific, painful thing that I see. I'm like, whoa, ain't no way a man's gonna do that. Thank the Lord, that's a woman's task. Um, uh, I don't know, before long, I, I, don't, I don't know. Don't wanna go there. Men, men can chest feed today. Don't make any sense. I mean, man, this stuff in itself should be able to people look at it and go, this world, Jack, there's gotta be a better answer. That we don't call it breastfeeding anymore. We call it chest feeding now so that we can be appropriate. You've got to be kidding me. Here's what Genesis 3.15 says. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. This is his curse. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What's he talking about? Well, the, he's talking to the serpent. The offspring of the woman is, he's talking about Jesus. He says that Jesus, he's gonna, and basically here's the, here's the prophecy, the gospel prophesied, what God preached the first gospel. And he said, here's what's gonna happen. I told you that the price for sin was death. I told you that. When you eat, you will die. Death is required. Not fig leaves, not just church attendance, not just getting baptized, not doing enough good stuff, not being better than your neighbor. That's not required. What's required is death. 
and you can't pay it because you're a sinner. So your death means nothing. You, your death can't cover your sins, let alone someone else's. So, I, he, I, so he set up this animal sacrifice that let them know sacrifice is required, death is required. But all those animals didn't cover anything. They were a symbol that pointed to Jesus the perfect lamb of God. And so, so here he prophesies and God said, I'm gonna put enmity between you, between Satan and, and, and Jesus. And here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna bruise his heel. What did that mean? You're gonna bruise his heel. Well, it means you're gonna wound him. That's exactly what happened. Remember Jesus came, lived a perfect life and was br- brutally beaten, tortured, murdered on a cross. Satan thought he had taken care of the business. He thought he had, dealt the blow, oh, but three days later, bam, he came up out of the grave. He buried on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, on the third day, he came up out of the grave, alive, defeating death, hell, sin, and the grave, and here's what, it, here's what it says. He wounded him, but he didn't crush him. He wounded his heel, but what did he say? What did he say her offspring, Jesus, would do to Satan? He will wound your head. He will crush you. He will destroy you. He will kill you. That's what Jesus did when he came up out of the grave. He defeated death. He crushed death, hell, Satan. He crushed all those things. And that's why it's only in Jesus. It's not in your coverings. There's a greater covering because if you go on in Romans chapter five, when he says that sin and condemnation came into the world through one man, he also says salvation came into the world. There's a better Adam. His name is Jesus. There's a better covering. It's not fig leaves. It's not your works. It's the blood of Jesus. When you surrender to Jesus because he lived a perfect life, his death now becomes applied to you. He takes your sin and gives you his righteousness. He takes your death and gives you his life. It's the beauty of this thing. You can't work there. It's through Jesus' work. And he gave us today what we were going to take communion. And, and, and those of you who are going to serve it, just come on and get it and begin to hand this out because I want to explain this as, as our deacons and folks are handing out uh, communion today. Uh, now, uh, if you are a Christian, as they come down to grab these things, if you are a Christian, this is for you, okay? Why, Pat, do you say it's just for Christians? Can't we all? Well, because this is, it represents the body and the blood of Christ who died for you, who shed his blood for you. And if you're not a believer, that does not yet apply to you. So if you're not, this is for Christians. So if your child is here or not, just hold them off. So let me, let me, let me explain what happened. Jesus, uh, you, if you've been here, then you've heard this, but it's why we do it, to remember. Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. He didn't tell us how often to do it. He just told us when we did to remember. So here, here's what happened. The night before Jesus died, Thursday night, He was eating the Passover meal with his disciples and he transformed that meal into what we call the Lord's Supper, the new covenant, the uh, the new covenant. He took a piece of bread and he broke it and he passed it around and said, take and eat, this is my body. He took wine. We use juice here, by the way, if any of you have a problem, so we will not set you back, so you're safe. He took wine and he passed it around and said, drink, uh, this is my, the, uh, my blood of the new covenant. And so he's talking about eating his body and drinking his blood. And they're like, oh, what, what? I mean, you know, so it wasn't physically his body they were putting in their mouth. He's right there. It wasn't physically his blood. He didn't cut himself and drain blood in. It's wine. They knew it wasn't literal. He was using a symbol of saying, I'm setting up something for you to always remember what God prophesied in Genesis 3.15, the gospel. I am the seed of the woman. 
I am going to crush the enemy with my death. He, that will be his wounding of me, right? And so, so he said, uh, when, he, when he did that, he, he, he told him to take and eat, take and drink. And then he said, uh, do this as often as you to remember me. And that's why we do this about every five, six weeks here, just to remember that. And so I, today's a perfect day to do it. When I was studying for this, I said, man, this is a perfect day to do it. Why? Because if we go back to the Garden of Eden, it began to, you begin to realize that how did we get here? Because Satan comes in and he says, take and eat. Take and eat, and everything will be great. Your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. Take and eat. And they did, and they were cursed. We are cursed because of it. We're doomed. We died because of it. But the night before he died, the night before Satan would wound him, not crush him, but wound him, Jesus said, take and eat, and you'll live. Take and eat, and you'll be restored. Take and eat, and you'll find freedom. Take and eat, and you'll find hope. Only in me, take and eat. So today's a perfect day to remember as we look at the origin of sin, to look at the origin and remember the origin of salvation. So if you received this on the bottom, there's a little piece of bread. Take that, get the bread out. It's just a little piece. It's not your lunch. It's just a symbol. Take that little piece of bread and you remember you know, we, we like to say it was an apple, right? I mean, if you see any pictures of Adam and Eve, and it's not one of Aesop's fables, by the way, or it's, it's, a real, it's a real historical event. It really happened. And we like to think of an apple. It could have been an apple. I don't know, but it's more likely a fig, if anything, because we, we do have fig leaves mentioned. But whatever it was, that fruit, go back to the Genesis and remember, that's how we got here, was we fell. We fell by believing the lie and taking and eating the fruit. How do we get out of it? We believe the truth, and we take and eat the body and the blood of Christ, which means we are consumed with Christ. It means we're consumed with Christ. It doesn't mean you try to add a little Jesus to your life. It means you're consumed with Jesus. That's how you get out of this. That's how we get out of this. So that night, Jesus, when he was meeting, he blessed the bread, and I want to pray and then we're going to remember. Father, we love you. Thank you that you are the way out of this mess. I pray that our eyes would be open to that. God, I know that there are many people whose eyes are blinded to you because of the enemy. God, I pray that you would open eyes to the truth today. Help us know that it is only in eating you, uh, your body and drinking your blood. In other words, Jesus, not literally, but in being consumed by you that we can find life, hope, joy, peace, meaning, purpose. God, we, we believe the lie and we ate the fruit. Help us to believe the truth and eat the body and drink the blood of Christ. Be consumed by him. Find life. Thank you for providing a way out of this mess we're in. In Jesus' name, amen.